0: having a series on miraculous certainty, looking at the miracles uh, of Jesus, and this time we're looking at the miracle in Luke chapter 8. 22 to 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the wind and the way, and the water and they obey him the word of the lord you, God. let us pray thank you lord for your word which is true which is the foundation of our faith we pray now that you'll open our hearts to hear your word your teaching as pastor andrew leads us through this Passage and its significance for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. May be seated. A little bit of a
1: start uh, this week, uh, a scare. I was reading a story uh, about uh, Iceland. And the story was that uh, they voted in 2017 to place mental health warnings on Bibles. uh, And that uh, recently they have voted to, um, to declare all religions to be psychological disorders. Their president uh, was reported to say that a cursory look at any of the common definitions of mental illness reveals that religion is, in fact, the most common malady of them all. Look at any recent convert. It's plain to friends and families that the poor soul in question is suffering from emotional disturbances and impaired functioning. I had to start because I was like, what is going on with this? And then I realized that it was a piece of satire. Uh, and it was not in fact true, so do not go back and report that Iceland has done this. Uh, but the author was using satire to make a point. Uh, and his point is what we've been saying. We've been talking about religion. We've been talking about our experience with God. And we've been talking about how easy it is for us to relegate things of faith to sort of this upper story, Uh, these things that can be categorized with things like psychological disturbances and other things that you can't really quantify, that you can't really uh, talk about, and, and, and we just want to take it out of the real life world even when we get positive stories like the one uh, that harvard professor tyler Vanderweil uh, and uh, a journalist named john sniff, sniff wrote in 2016 that religion actually makes a difference in people's lives the authors outlined the mental and physical health benefits that are correlated with regular religious participation. For most Americans, going to church reduces mortality rates by 20 to 30 percent over a 15-year period. Research suggests that those who regularly attend services are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, are less likely to commit suicide, and have a greater purpose in life. They're less likely to divorce and are more self-controlled. We battle with this, we, we battle with the place of faith, we battle with the place of religion. Is it, is it something that is nebulous, that is out there, that is more prone to psychological disorder? Again, that was a piece of satire, but satire is always based on the truth of people's perceptions with regards to a thing. Or is it something that actually makes a difference in our world? And this is one of the reasons why we are looking at Luke in this way. Because remember, Luke, the physician, a man of science, an educated man of science of his day, is bringing the miraculous into this world and saying this is what causes certainty. I'm writing these things so that you may be certain of the faith that you have. And again, it just plays with our categories because faith, certainty, science, uh, religion, miracle, all of these things uh, seem so mixed up in our day and age. Today, we, we meet Jesus uh, once again with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret, as, as Luke calls it. And, and here we see a earth shaking, earth-stopping miracle uh, that once again is inviting the disciples and inviting us into what I am saying is a bigger and a better uh, experience of who Jesus is. Now, some of you have played bigger and better or bigger or better before. You start with a penny, you go to people's house, and you usually end up with someone else's junk. Uh, And a big piece of junk. Uh, And uh, I I hope that's not the case today. Uh, We're going to play bigger and better, uh, but, but I think we're going to end up with a bigger and a better view of who God is and the story that he is inviting us to. So let's start with a bigger view of God because clearly this is something that we are being invited to. Starts out the story does in very ordinary ways, uh, even the way Luke narrates it. One day he he got into a boat. It wasn't any particular day. It was an ordinary day, uh, and, and where our lives are filled with ordinary days, and it's the it's the ordinary days in which we are invited to trust Jesus. In this case, they get into a boat. I mean, that's their job. They are fishermen, and uh, in this case, they're not necessarily going to fish, but they're using the boat as transportation, which was also very ordinary for them. It's interesting, over the years, uh, one of the portraits of the church, uh, literally, in a lot of early Christian art, uh, a, a boat was used to depict the Christian life. Uh, So right away, as we come to this story that happens on an ordinary day in the midst of their ordinary lives, we realize that we're invited into this. Uh, This is is not only an occurrence that happened there, it is certainly that, but it's also a bigger picture uh, of what our life is like. Uh, In the boat, with Jesus, on the lake, in the storm, all of those things, and I think you will readily recognize that. One of the things that strikes us in the midst of this ordinary day is just how uh, unconcerned Jesus seems to be. Uh, As they are going in the course of their travels, a, a storm comes upon this lake. Some of you have been there. Uh, to the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, you know that it is uh, a lake that sits below sea, wa- sea level, uh, and yet it's surrounded by mountains uh, that uh, are quite high and obviously air coming off of the mountains is quite a bit cooler than, than the water down uh, at its location. It also has these ravines and such, and likewise, or because of all of that, it's known for the sudden and intense storms that will come upon the lake. And this is exactly what happens as they're making their way, sort of a five-mile journey across the lake. Uh, they are beset by, by one of these storms. And, and you can tell from, from the story, uh, the way that Luke is recounting it, that it was a bad storm. I mean, remember, these are professional fishermen. Uh, these are people that are on their home turf. I mean, they are, they are sailing on the lake that they fish on. They're, they're sa- they know this area, and they are terrified uh, when this st- in the midst of this storm. You know, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? They use all of their skills, all of their expertise, in order to, uh, to change their situation, and they could not So there, there is a desperation here on the part of the disciples. And in the midst of this, uh, they come to Jesus. Jesus, who, who seems so unaware, uh, seems so unconcerned. This is actually a story that is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are what we call the synoptic gospels. And each one of them records this story. And they each give us little details. I, I believe it's actually Mark uh, that tells us that Jesus is asleep uh, on a pillow uh, in the bus. So this storm is coming down. And again, we we connect with this because we understand that oftentimes in our ordinary course of life, uh the storms beset us, and, and we respond so similarly to the disciples, like. Jesus, aren't you aware? Don't you care about this uh, danger, this peril that we are facing? And, and, and there Jesus is, and he seems to sleep on. But the main thing, you know, and there are lots of ways when we approach these stories, we, we want to jump to sort of application and, uh, and, and kind of play that out, like, what does this mean for me here and now? But there's something that we have to do first before we can do that, and that is understand the main point of, of, of what this story is telling us. And in this case, what the story uh, is telling us, the main point is that if we want to really journey with Jesus, we have to understand who he is. We have to understand uh, the identity of this person. There was some confusion. Again, going to the synoptics, one of the things that's interesting is here in Luke, uh, the disciples call Jesus master. Don't you care that we are perishing? Uh, In Matthew, uh, they call him Lord. Uh, They don't use the title master. And then in Luke, they call him teacher. Now, in some senses, those are distinctions without a difference. I mean, they're all sort of in the, uh, the same family of title and address and all of that. But in the other sense, when you stop and think about it, we all have a different experience of, of who God is. You know, for some of us, he is a wise teacher. For some of us, he is a domestic master. He's the one that takes care of our, our home life and all of these things. For others of us, he is the civic Lord. He is the one who uh, orders our, our, our society and all of those different things. And all of those are true. All of those are true. But but what the, the point of the story is, is that Jesus transcends everything that we would address him as. Jesus transcends that, and he wants us to understand that he is the God of the universe. That he is the very one whose finger has put Into into its course, the the heavens and the stars and all of those things that were sung so beautifully from us or for us from Psalm eight. God is the one who stands above creation. The the psalmist uh, in a number of places talk about the uh, the the relationship of God to the, the oceans and the raging seas. The Lord, Psalm 29, sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Or Psalm 65, where it says, By your awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the people, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of, of your signs. Or Psalm, uh, Psalm 89, uh, where, where it is said, You, O God, Rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise, you still them. So as 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 Jesus stands and and he speaks to the storm, and he calms it immediately. What the disciples see, because they are Hebrews and they know the Psalms, they see this is no mere mortal who is in the boat with us, but this is this is God. This is the one whose little finger has created the heavens. This is the one who sits enthroned over the flood, above the raging of the seas. This is who is in the boat with us. And this is such a starting place for you and for me. Because we so often want to domesticate the one who is in the boat with us. We want to make him a good teacher. We want to make him sort of the master of our home life. We want to maybe even ascribe to him lordship over the civic realm. But we don't want to reckon with the fact that he is so much greater than those things. That he is the one who is Lord of the universe, who is master of all that is created, this this magnificent galaxy that we are a part of, which is one of many galaxies who are so broad that we can't even get our minds around it, that our best scientists run out of language to describe the vastness of the universe that we live in. This is the one who we have to deal with. This is the one who is in the boat with us. And notice that the disciples were afraid when the storm was raging. But they were more afraid when that storm was still. You know, who is this that is in the boat with us? And that is the sign of somebody Who really, who really is starting, probably only at the fringes, to know God. J.I. Packer, some of you know, wrote a a very famous book called Knowing God. It's definitely worth a read. He says, knowing God is crucially important for the living of our lives. Notice that. It's crucially important for the living of your life. You can exist Without knowing God. But if you really want to live your life, you have to know who is in the boat with you. We are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes, and this is so true, the world becomes a strange, mad, painful place... And life in it is disappointing and an unpleasant business for those who do not know who God is. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life. Blindfolds, as it were, with no sense of direction. No understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you waste your life and you lose your soul. Number one. This passage invites us, and I I often use that word, this passage exhorts us, it implores us, it pleads with us, know God, know Jesus, the one who is not just a teacher, not just a master, not just a civic Lord, but he is the God of the universe. He is the creator of its vastness. He is the creator of its, of its smallest intricacy down to the subatomic level of who we are. This is the one who we travel with. This is the one who is in the boat with us. And I invite you again You know, from young to old, make this your life's work. Know God. The world will seem strange, mad, and unbearable unless you know God. But if you know God, if you know him as he reveals himself to us, there there is a path forward. There is what I'm saying here, a better story. And so let's move on to, to that side. Understanding God, knowing God, leads us to a better story. It's a story that, first of all, encompasses all of life. Uh, it, it doesn't just deal with the good things that are going on in life, but it encompasses all of life. I mean, we recognize, uh, Diane Langberg puts it this way we've been clearly told in the scriptures that suffering is part of life in this fallen world. Most of us work hard to push that truth back and live as if it is not so or it will not be so uh, for us. When it comes to us, it can take our breath away and it rocks the foundations of our life and it rocks the foundations of our family. We recognize that is true. Uh, Some of you know it very personally right now. Most of us know it very personally. At some point in our life, we understand suffering (laughs) suffering. We understand suffering comes into our world. We understand uh, that, that brokenness, that the waves, all of that uh, are part of our life. But if we do not have a view of God who is Lord over all, Lord over the suffering of our life as well, if we do not have that view, then we, we don't have a view that is able to encompass the storm. We don't have a view that is able to make sense of it. Now, it's not that we have all of the answers, and there are several things that we say God is certainly Lord over the storm. He sits enthroned. He uh, he is its master. Uh, That doesn't mean that he is its author in the sense that he desires uh, the bad things, that he brings those in there. We, We know that evil has come into the world. It hasn't taken God by surprise. He is not out of control. Uh, But he is light and in him is no darkness. He is not the author of that evil. But nonetheless, uh, he, he sits over this world where there is storms. There are deep troughs that plunge us seemingly further away from God than we have ever been. But one of the things that's so interesting is that same storm will rise you up closer to the heavens than maybe you've ever experienced. I, I was reading about uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald. You know, we, we live near lake, and, and there are boats that uh, have suffered in storms. They say that during the, the storm that wrecked the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, that the waves were up to 35 feet. Can you imagine being in a boat that already stands like 50 feet up above the water and then just being catapulted, you know, 35 feet in the air? I mean, you would, you would feel closer to heaven than you wanted to feel at that particular moment. But that's the reality of the storms in our life. As they come, we, we plunge, but we also rise. I remember a a good friend of mine, uh, and a very mature Christian woman, uh, and she struggled with depression. Uh, It it would come in in different ways, and again, this was not something that she embraced as something that was inherently good, Uh, and it certainly is something that she worked to understand, worked to control, all of these things, but... This is the thing that has stuck with me over the years. She also could say about that storm that she did learn to embrace it because in that storm, she grew closer to Jesus than when she was not experiencing that depression. And I think many of us can relate to that. I mean, when do we grow in our faith? Is it in the blue sky times? You know, when we're cruising along and we have absolutely no need of God, no, it's not during those times. It's in the desperate times when we have nowhere else to cling to but God. Those are the times in which we grow closer to Him. We don't pray for those. Now, again, you know this is, this is part of the fall and Jesus is redeeming all of these things. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But we also don't despise them because we know who God is. Because we know that he is in the boat with us. Because our worldview is able to encompass all of life, its ups and its downs. The second thing uh, that we note about this better story is that it encourages in us a direction for our faith, not necessarily the perfection of our faith. Borrowing that language from uh, another pastor, direction versus perfection, but I think it, it works here. Uh, Jesus says to the disciples, he's, where is your faith? Where is it? Like like, what direction? Where have you placed your faith? And, and as I was reflecting on, on this this week, I, I realized that in the midst of life's storms, I am so much like the disciples. Uh, the disciples' first instinct was to navigate the storm. Of course, I mean, they are fishermen. They know how to, they know how to, to handle themselves on the lake. They know how to handle the, the, the boat. They maybe have the very best fishing boat on the lake. They have the equipment, they have the expertise. They can navigate this storm. A- and so that is how they deal with it, until they can't, until their expertise Fails them, and then they go seeking to wake up Jesus, seeking to say, Master, Master, Teacher, Teacher, Lord, Lord, we are perishing. Do you not care that we are perishing? And I had to do a fair amount of repentance about my own expertise. Because so often the direction of my faith is not towards Jesus. The direction of my faith is, you know, my ability to get along with people. The direction of my faith is is my uh, my theological training in which I've learned a lot of things about God over the years. The direction of my faith uh, is is my competency, and and I, I realize I'm so much like the disciples, and if this is a picture of the church, we're so much like the disciples, uh, we, we want to direct our faith to any other cistern other than the fountain of true and living water. Sometimes these are good things. You know, like with the disciples, their, their expertise as fishermen was not a bad thing. Uh, the equipment that God had given them was a beautiful thing. Uh, But they weren't the ultimate thing. It wasn't. They weren't. The things that were going to save them, what was going to save them was a dependence on Jesus. What was going to save them was their clinging to him. It's not what we bring to the table. It's not medical expertise, it's not uh, unhealthy things like alcohol or pornography or any of the types of things that we so easily want to cling to other than Jesus. What Jeremiah says is that these are broken cisterns that cannot hold water, and we are invited to drink from the living water, uh, which is Jesus himself. So maybe, you know, just by way of taking this and and chewing on it, you know, I always would encourage you to to treat the word as hard candy. Uh, You you can't just bite it right away. Well, you can, but it gets stuck in your teeth and it's really, but you suck on it, right? And and, and maybe part of your sucking on the word uh, over the course of this week, uh, mulling it over, letting it... Uh, go around in your mouth is just what am I relying on what what 's the direction of my faith what 's my expertise, or maybe it's it 's something just completely outside of the realm of faith uh, and confess that before the Lord because it 's always an invitation to turn back to him because what he is doing, and this is the third thing here is he is turning. The chaos into calm. He is turning the the chaos of the storm into the calm which he oversees. So again, we mentioned Jesus gets up and he speaks a word and he says, peace, be still to the storms. And it stops immediately. Immediately. Uh, The disciples were terrified. I think, you know, it's fair to say any of us would have been terrified as well. They were terrified, but this is what Jesus has come to do. He has come to bring calm through the midst of chaos. This is a a theme that runs throughout the entirety of scriptures. Go all the way back to Genesis 1, and uh, it tells us that the world was formless and void uh, and the spirit, then, uh, sustained by the word, uh, moved over the face of the earth, and something beautiful comes out of uh, the tohu va bohu, the formlessness and void of creation. If you remember when we studied the uh, the plagues in Exodus, uh, we said this was decreation. You know, when darkness falls on the land, the frogs, the lice, all of these things, it it was working the opposite of creation. Instead of a a calmness, there was a chaos that was coming upon that. Uh, But the Israelites didn't experience that. God's people made their way calmly, though chaos was reigning in the land of Egypt. And when we come to the cross, we see so many of the exact same things that we saw uh, in Egypt. But they're happening in and around Jesus. It's in the darkness that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, it, it is the utter chaos that comes upon the Son of God that ultimately leads to the calm that you and I long for. You see, Jesus is bringing calm to our chaos by becoming chaos for us in order that we might know the blessed calm of redeemed and good lives creation, all that goes along with us. Again, Diane Langberg. She's so wise. She says this, the crucified is the one who is most chaotic, most traumatized. He has borne the World Trade Center. He has carried the Iraq War, the destruction in Syria, the Rwandan massacres, the AIDS crisis, the poverty of our inner city, the abused and trafficked children. He was wounded for the sins of those who perpetrate such horrors. He has carried the griefs and the sorrows of multitudes who have suffered the natural disasters of this world, the earthquakes, the cyclones, the tsunamis. He has borne uh, our selfishness, our complacency, our love of success, our pride, the chaos of our hearts. He has been in the darkness. He has known the loss of all things. He has been abandoned by his Father. He has been to hell. There is no part of any tragedy that he has not known, that he has not carried. He has done this so that none of us face the tragedy alone. Because he has always been there before us. And he will go before us. This is the Savior who is in the boat with his disciples. Brothers and sisters, I I can't take away the suffering that you're going through, but I can tell you who's in the boat. His name is Jesus, and he sits enthroned above the floods and he has entered the chaos of the storm in order that you might know the calm of being with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the, the reminders that it brings into our life. Father, we confess that so like the disciples, we we find ourselves looking to our own expertise um, in order to save us when we have the Lord of the universe in the boat. Lord, we pray uh, that you would continue to change the, the direction uh, of our faith. And Lord, I, I thank you, too, that, that you love your disciples. You're so patient with them. Uh, over and over, you've already proved yourself uh, to be God. You've already proved yourself to to have the power and the ability. and, And yet, even when the disciples forget, you are so kind and you are so gracious. And you invite them further up and farther in, relying on you, a bigger God, a better story. Go with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.